The best heroes are dead heroes. Perhaps you have a hero in your life who later in life proved to be an utter failure. Perhaps it's a sports figure or a famous artist or perhaps a political leader. We all have those heroes in our lives who we look up to, who we want to emulate, who we want to be like. Yet, as time goes by, they prove themselves to be not worthy of emulation, not worthy of our time and attention. This is why many will say the best heroes are dead heroes. Why? Because dead heroes can't speak anymore. There's nothing more embarrassing than to hear your favorite actor or athlete or political leader say some of the most foolish things later in life. Perhaps it's even a pastor who you once followed and admired and listened to faithfully who eventually renounced the faith or fell into unrepentant sin. Friends, frankly, that saying is true that the best heroes are often dead heroes. When we think about the life of Abraham, we think about the book of Hebrews, where Abraham is listed there in that great cloud of witnesses, of men and women of faith. In our story this morning in Abraham's life, we again see this great mighty hero of the Old Testament, Father Abraham not acting very fatherly, not acting like a hero. The one who stared down mighty kings in Canaan to rescue his nephew Lot. The man who, who stood before the Lord and pleaded for, for the Lord's mercy of Sodom and Gomorrah. The man who was so bold to ask of the Almighty. Runs in fear at a Canaanite king named Abimelech. Sometimes our heroes don't prove to be very heroic. But friends, I hope this morning to encourage you with the truth that God uses broken people to bring about His perfect plan of redemption. God uses men like Abraham, men like Moses and David, and people like you and I, to bring about His purpose of redemption in the lives of people. Well, I hope this morning you have your Bibles open and that you've taken a time to read through chapters 20 and 21 before we begin. As you read, no doubt, you came across some puzzling passages trying to understand why Abraham is yet again sending his wife away, why he's not standing strong. Surely you saw the omniscience of God, the, the power of God on display. You see the promise-keeping God. You see the mercy of God, not only in saving Abimelech and Abraham and Sarai from their foolishness, but even His mercy towards Hagar and Ishmael. We saw there at the end, as you read in chapter 21, the everlasting God whom Abraham called out to. Well, as we read chapters 20 and 21, we see that the Lord keeps His promise to Abraham and Sarai by protecting His promise and fulfilling His word to them by providing a child. 
in his encounter with Abimelech, we see that the Lord is keeping Abraham and Sarah from sin. We see that God fulfills His promise and continues to protect that promise. The purpose of our devotional this morning is for us to know and worship the everlasting God. Really, the story is not so much about Abraham and Sarah and Abimelech or even Isaac. The story, as we look at it, is really about God. So this morning, I want us to organize our thoughts around the four aspects of the Lord's character that we see in this narrative. First, in chapter 20, in verses 1 through 18, we see the Lord's protection. The Lord is a protector. Secondly, in chapter 21, in verses 1 through 7, we see the Lord's provision. Our God is a provider God. He provides and fulfills His promises to Abraham and Sarah. Thirdly, in chapter 21, in verses 8 through 21, we see the Lord's preservation in sending Hagar and Ishmael away. The Lord is preserving the promised line through Isaac. Finally, in this seemingly unimportant an insignificant event where Abraham and Abimelech make a treaty. I want you to see the Lord's power. For Abraham calls upon the everlasting God. Well, let's look at these four aspects of God's character this morning. Again, with your Bibles open, look here first in verse, verse really chapter 20, the Lord's protection. We're told in verse 1 that Abraham is on the move. Him and Sarai are out in the Negev. We're not told why they've left their home and begin to travel. You'll be reminded that Abraham is a nomadic man. He, He is moving around. And because he has herds, he has to travel to places where there is uh, water and food to be able to feed his flocks. And so he is roaming around and he makes his way to this territory of the Negev in an area called Greer. And when he comes upon this mighty king, Abimelech, in Greer, Abraham used the same ruse he used with Pharaoh years earlier. You'll be reminded in chapter 12, Abraham and Sarai, when they were down in Egypt, were fearful and therefore created a ruse where they passed Sarah off as his sister. In this story before us, we see that he lacks trust in the Lord's protection. Remember, Abraham is in a covenant relationship with the Almighty God, El Shaddai, God Almighty. Yet this story demonstrates Abraham's lack of faith in the promises of God. The great man of faith that stood down these mighty kings before is now wavering. He doubts the Lord's covenant with him. But friends, I want you to see that although Abraham doubts God's promises, you'll be reminded that the covenant that God made with Abraham was not dependent upon Abraham. Remember that God was the one who walked 
through the sacrificed animals. God was the one who signed, sealed, and delivers on the covenant promises. You see, it only depends on the Lord as the story will unfold. We're told in verse 3 that God came to Abimelech in a dream by night. This is meant to, to teach us that God is the one who is protecting His promises. Now, in the book of Genesis, dreams are a medium of divine revelation. This is, of course, later on how God will will speak to uh, Israel and how God will speak to Joseph through dreams and to Pharaoh through dreams. God is protecting His promises to Abraham by stopping Abimelech from doing anything that would jeopardize the promise. Now, what would jeopardize this? Well, we're told in the text that Sarai goes into the harem of Abimelech. He bec- she becomes, if you will, uh, one of his wives. And therefore, could potentially harm the promise that God gave to Abraham and Sarah that this time next year she would have a child. Now the text is very clear that God is the one stopping this from going any further. And secondly, the the text is clear that Abimelech is innocent of any wrongdoing. If you look there in verse 6, you see that, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who was keeping you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. The point is clear. God is keeping Abimelech from grievous sin, lest Sarah become impregnated by this king. You see, it was a covenant of grace that God had made with Abraham. God would keep his word, and so would Abimelech. We're told in verses 8 through 13 that the next morning Abimelech confronts Abraham. He is quick to obey the word of the Lord. We see a contrast really in character between Abraham and Abimelech. Abimelech is the man of faith. Abraham is the man living in sin. I want you to look here as Abimelech confronts him. Verse 9, Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us and how have I sinned against you? that you brought on me in my kingdom a great sin. You have done to me these things that you ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? What did you see, he says. Well, Abraham naturally responds in defensiveness, but notice what he says in verse 11. Abraham says, I did it because I thought, There is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my life. Abraham lacked eyes of faith. He saw with fuzzy faith. His eyes were blurry. He feared man more than he feared the Lord. Ironically, this is exactly what Abraham lacked himself, is it not? The very thing he suspected of Abimelech, that there's no fear of God in him, is the very thing that Abraham lacked. Fear of God. If he would have trusted the Lord's promise to keep him, to protect him, that he was in a covenant relationship with the King of glory, 
He need not fear a mighty Canaanite king. He need only fear the mighty one, El Shaddai. You see, we see the self-protection of Abraham. We'll compare that to the self-denial of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself did not go into self-protection mode, whether it be in the, the desert when he is being tempted for 40 days or on, the, on trial before Pilate. He did not open his mouth. He did not defend himself, but he denied himself. So is the way of those who follow Christ to deny ourselves, to deny self-protection, and to rely along the Lord and Him alone. Well, you saw earlier that the Lord told Abimelech that Abraham would intercede for him, that he was to go to Abraham to bring Sarah, and that Abraham would pray. We see here in the text that Abraham, though he doubts, God is teaching him what his true role is to be, that he is to be a prophet interceding on the behalf of the people. This is just as Moses will do later as he intercedes. Brothers and sisters, I hope you see this marvelous grace of our loving Lord that God uses even sinful men to bring about His glorious purposes. And so Abraham prayed and God healed Abimelech and his family. And great irony in the text that the same God who closed and opened wounds at the prayer of Abraham, still did not open Sarah's womb. Friend, this story falls within two of Abraham's greatest days, interceding for Lot and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in chapter 23, or 22 rather, and the sacrifice of his son. You see, Abraham is learning to follow the Lord. He struggles in his faith. How are you struggling today? Do you doubt God's protection of you as a covenant member of the family of God? Friend, know that God will protect you even when your faith is weak. You'll be reminded when Jesus' disciples, the three disciples, the the inner circle, they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and there they saw God's glory, saw Jesus' glory revealed. And when they came down from the mountain, Jesus' disciples were trying to heal a blind man and they were unable to do it. And Jesus, in the illustra- illustrating to his disciples, he, he prays for this man to be healed. But, but the man responds and say, says, I can only see trees and it's fuzzy. I can't really see things. And And so Jesus prays again and he's ultimately healed and he can see. The point of that story and that illustration was to to show his disciples where they were. Their eyes were fuzzy. They couldn't see clearly. Friend, this morning perhaps you have fuzzy faith. Perhaps your eyes do not see clearly what the Lord is doing in this season in your life. Remember that song we sing, When I fear my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, Christ will hold me fast. Do you believe the power of Christ to protect you from even you? Not only do we see the Lord's protection, but we see in chapter 21 in verses 1 through 7, the Lord's provision. The Lord Almighty provides 
and fulfills his promise to Abraham and Sarah. Fascinatingly enough, in this great fulfillment of promise, we see hardly any words used. Only seven verses to talk about one of the pinnacle days and the greatest days in the life of Abraham and Sarah. From a lack of faith in the previous scene to the wondrous trust in the promises of God, Abraham obeys the Lord. He names his son Isaac. He circumcises him, as verse 4 says, as God had commanded him. You see, God is a promise-keeping God. God is one who promises to provide, to fulfill His Word. One of the great things we could be doing right now in this season is to meditate on God's promises to us in Christ. Do you believe God's promises? Do you trust His Word? Remember what Jesus taught us, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Do you believe that Jesus accomplished all that was required? That you are saved by grace alone and not by works? Jesus is the pinnacle fulfillment of all of God's promises. Even here as we see the point of our passage is that God is a promise-keeping God. God can do the impossible. Even as you see there in verses 6 and 7, as Sarah is laughing The word Isaac, the Hebrew word, means to laugh. Isaac's word or name means laughter. He's the son of laughter. A hundred-year-old man has a child. As Sarah says, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son in his old age. God is a miraculous God. He does the impossible. Do you believe in Him? Thirdly, in our text, we see that the Lord's preservation of His promise. Of course, there's still Ishmael, Abraham's firstborn son through Hagar. And we see in the text that another laughter. We see in verse 9 there that, that Ishmael is laughing seemingly the child was older. Isaac was perhaps around two or three years old at this point. Abraham makes a great feast for him. And Ishmael, in his jealousy, begins to laugh. Literally, he is Isaacing. He was laughing at the promises of God. And this would put him in jeopardy. But what was meant for harm, God meant for good. It was an act of grace that God sends Ishmael away so that Isaac can inherit the promise without rival. This is how God is working in His sovereignty. He is calling a people unto Himself. And Ishmael is not a part of that promise. God sends him away. And what is seemingly a sad tale is it seems that Ishmael and His mother, Hagar, will not survive in the wilderness long. Again, we see the Lord's preservation. The Lord preserves Ishmael. He preserves him and promises to make him a great nation. Now, what is God doing through this? 
what we're learning about the character of God and particularly how the people of God, namely the, the children of Abraham, will bless the nations. The, the promise isn't going to come through Ishmael, but that does not mean that God is not going to care for him. The Lord demonstrates tremendous mercy. The Lord will reveal later to Moses that he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And while Ishmael is not the son of promise, it does not mean that God would not bless him. This blessing of Ishmael is a reminder of God's promise that through Abraham, the nations would be blessed. This would be fulfilled through King David. For example, in Psalm 18, and ultimately through Jesus Christ, as he calls Gentiles into a relationship with him. In verse 21, we're told that Hagar, who is an Egyptian uh, woman, takes a wife from the land of Egypt. Ironically, it will be the Ishmaelites that the brothers of Joseph will sell him to, that will carry him down to Egypt. God, by preserving Ishmael, will continue to preserve his promise in the years to come. God is a preserving God. Well, finally, we see in, ver in chapter 21, verses 22 through 34, the Lord's power. In this seemingly unimportant, insignificant tale about Abimelech uh, having a, a relationship, a, a treaty with Abraham, we, we're told that Abraham swears to deal righteously with Abimelech. Notice why Abimelech comes to him. Look there in verse 22. He says to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. You see, Abimelech had eyes of faith. He could see the Lord's power at work. He had just seen it, perhaps some time before, years before, when Abraham prayed, and miraculously, the barrenness of his family was lifted. Abimelech here is seeking a, a treaty, a, a treaty with this man of faith. He recognizes that he is a man of faith. God was working through Abraham. Even a Canaanite king pre proves to be more righteous than the righteous Abraham. He can see God's work in Abraham's life, even when it seems Abraham can't. We're told that they do make a treaty together. In verse 30, we're told that, they, that Abraham seals the covenant, the, the treaty with him, with seven hue lambs that will take from my hand. This will be a witness for me that I dug this well. Abraham was growing in his faith. He was learning to trust the Lord. And as Christians, we also need to grow, to learn that we are saved by faith alone, but that God is at work to transform us. We see in the text what God's purpose is for Abraham's life. That is to be a blessing to the nations, not a hindrance to the nations. See, Abraham was growing in his faith and his trust in the Lord. Are you growing in your trust of the Lord? Paul exhorts us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In verse 33 of chapter 21, we see that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. 
and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Abraham was growing to know the Lord, to know his character, that his God and our God is an everlasting God. He is an eternal God. He will not leave us nor forsake us. He is the all-powerful one. He is never-ending. He is an all-powerful, all-knowing. He is able to sustain, to keep, and to secure, and to fulfill His Word. As Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. The Lord keeps His promise. He is a promise-keeping God. He keeps His promise to Abraham and Sarah by providing them a child. He not only provides a child, but He protects the child. He preserves the promise and He puts His power on display as the everlasting God. Well, brothers and sisters, may we know on this Resurrection Sunday the power of God in our lives. The power of God even when we doubt. Even when we're in seasons of difficulty and discouragement and despair. I want to conclude our time Uh, this morning by reading another one of those uh, Puritan hymns. This is a Puritan uh, song, a Puritan devotional uh, from the Valley of Vision. And it's called Resurrection. O God of my exodus, great was the joy of Israel's sons when Egypt died upon the shore. Far greater the joy when the Redeemer's foe lay crushed in the dust. Jesus strides forth as the victor, conqueror of death, hell, and all opposing might. He bursts the bands of death, tramples the power of darkness down, and lives forever. He, my gracious surety, apprehended for payment of my debt, comes forth from the prison house of the grave, free and triumphant over sin, Satan, and death. Show me herein the proof that His vicarious offering is accepted, that the claims of justice are satisfied, that the devil's scepter is shriveled, that His wrongful throne is leveled. Give me the assurance that in Christ I died, in Him I rose, in His life I live, In His victory I triumph. In His ascension I shall be glorified. Adorable Redeemer, Thou who wast lifted up upon a cross, art ascended to highest heaven. Thou, who as man of sorrows wast crowned with thorns, art now as life, Lord of life, wreathed with glory. Once no shame more deep than Thine, No agony more bitter, no death more cruel. Now no exaltation more high, no life more glorious, no advocate more effective. Thou art in the triumph car leading captive thine enemies behind thee. What more could be done than thou hast done? Thy death is my life, thy resurrection my peace, thy ascension my hope. Thy prayers, my comfort. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the grace you have shown us in Christ. The hope that we have in the resurrection. 
the promise of the resurrection. As our story beheld us today in your word that you are a promise-keeping God. You keep your word. And the, the promise of new life and the promise of everlasting life, for you are the everlasting God, is true. And we can depend our souls upon Him. Be with us this week as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ and put our hope and trust surely on Him. For Your glory and our eternal good, we pray this in Christ's name.